Good day to all those listening. This is Tyler Hawkins, and I am Just Some Christian Guy, your channel for civilized discourse on maintaining a Christian perspective in a secular world. I want to welcome you to episode one, our first episode focused on a specific subject matter. I will be posting episode zero soon, in which I will give a full introduction to this podcast, explaining the type of content you can expect, But for now, I want to start with a meaty topic, if you will. This episode comes from a sermon I recently delivered at the Ogden Church of Christ in central Iowa and is entitled, Can I Know That I Am Saved? It's a great question, and it's a good Bible study. I would encourage you to take note of the verses mentioned, and if you can, grab your Bible and follow along. But before we play the recording, I have a few loose ends from this lesson that I would like to tie up now. Given that I was speaking during a worship service, I was trying to be mindful of how long I spoke, and as such, I missed a few points that I'd like to clarify now. So, first, this is not a lesson focused on how to be saved or who is saved. This is a lesson dealing with having certainty of our salvation. Anytime questions of salvation arise, many people quickly jump to a bunch of what-ifs and miss out on listening to the topic at hand. For example, what about people who never even had a chance to hear about Jesus? Or, what about my relative who died with a sincere faith in Jesus, but believed something different than what the Bible says? Now, these questions may be asked in earnest, and they are good questions, but they don't change the fact that we, alive today, have only the truth of the Bible to base our lives on. As such, this lesson on can I know that I am saved is not going to deal with all of the what-ifs and and how-about scenarios that that we can get into uh, in future discussions. No, this lesson focuses intentionally on examining the scriptures to find how we can be certain of our own individual salvation. Not someone else's, but our own. Am I right with God? Am I certain of my salvation based on what I read in His Word? If we want to be certain of our salvation, there are certain principles that we must live by, and if we want others to have certainty of their own salvation, then those same principles we must be teaching. Okay, second, it was brought to my attention that I mentioned how the Greek word for belief, pistio, involves a personal commitment and dedication to something. Not just a a mere acknowledgement of of a truth, but an acceptance of truth to the point of living by that truth. And then I share the passage from James 2 dealing with uh, even the demons believe. So the question is, is the same word for belief used in this passage? And if so, does that mean that the demons have a commitment to Christ? Okay, so good question. Uh, To start out with, yes. Uh, the word is the same. Uh, in James 2, the word is pastiu, which does have that deeper connotation of entrusting oneself to something. So, how can James say that demons have this type of belief? Well, I can think of at least two explanations for this. Okay, so first, James could be speaking hyperbolically about the demon's belief in order to reinforce his criticism of his audience's weak faith. It seems reasonable that what James is saying here is, hey, look, even the demon's knowledge that God exists is superior to your faith because you pretend 
to have this committed level of belief to God, yet you live as if you didn't know God at all. It seems that James is equating the way his readers are living with the same way the demons live. They know God, but choose to deny his commands. Okay, secondly, and I address this later on in the lesson, but uh, James may be saying the demons have this depth of belief because of their acceptance of judgment. When Jesus is casting out demons and they acknowledge him as the son of God and the judge of souls, they recognize there will be consequences for their actions. This is in contrast to James's audience who believe in the gospel, yet they live as if they will never be judged with condemnation by the gospel. And in this sense, the demons are even more committed to belief than James's audience. Okay, third point of clarification. After examining a few scriptures regarding repentance in the lesson, I ask the question, is repentance alone enough? I then turn back to 1 John to examine how walking in the light sheds some light uh, on what John means by sins which lead to death. Yet I fail to tie this back to repentance. So here is the tie. Repentance is part of the Christian walk. And it represents a mindset. Repentance is more than just turning away from one sin one time. But true biblical repentance is a change of your heart and mind that you want to turn away from sin and turn to God. When John states that walking in the light is a precursor to being continually cleansed, the locomotive for this walk is a heart and mind seeking God and seeking to abide in God's word. If you aren't living in this manner, then you are not living a repentant life, and you are not walking in the light. Okay, the last point here. The entire New Testament is filled with countless principles that could be considered walking in the light. But John boils it down to just a few in 1 John and, and throughout, throughout his writings. Do we love God? One. Two, do we love others? Three, are we seeking to please God or to please ourselves? Now, there are countless sincere people who will believe in false teachings, and when shown why it is biblically false, will still cling to the false teaching because they would rather please themselves than to serve God as He desires. Walking in the light isn't about just being a good person, as each individual defines good for themselves. No, walking in the light entails being a servant of God in the way God wants us to serve him and serve others. And knowing how to serve is based on his word. Chapter 1 of 1 John warns that sin indicates his word is not in us. Chapter 2 of 1 John states that we know God if we keep his commands. Chapter 2 also reveals that abiding in God's word is equal to overcoming evil and doing God's will leads to our eternal home with God. And then in chapter 5, we see that salvation is tied to loving God and obeying his commands. Now, the only way to know how to walk in the light and thereby be continually cleansed of our sins is to compare our life to God's word. God's word is the standard. 
how does our life measure up to that standard? All right, with those clarifications out of the way, let's just jump into the main lesson now, and I pray that it is beneficial to you and encourages you to take a deeper look at the verses presented here. Today's lesson is, can I know that I am saved? This is an issue that deals with salvation. By the very definition of the word salvation, it has life or death implications. And when in Titus 2.11, Paul writes that, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And this word salvation that's used not only in this passage, but anytime it's used throughout the New Testament, it means deliverance from your enemies. It means rescued. It means to be put in a safe position, to be brought to safety. And that's what we're talking about, salvation. Being delivered by Christ into a state of security, of peace, being rescued from our sins, being delivered out of this world and into a heavenly kingdom. And that's what we want to examine today. Through Christ, we can have salvation, and we can be delivered out of our sins. And when we talk about salvation, we often talk about it in terms of getting to spend eternity with God. We think about how uplifting, how enriching, how comforting it is to be able to spend eternity in heaven. And Paul speaks of this uh, quite plainly in at least two places. Uh, first is in Philippians chapter 1. The passage is, is 21 through 30, but uh, just verse 21, Paul writes, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Paul is writing very explicitly that he knows where he's going in the afterlife, because he knows that when he dies, he's only going to profit from his physical death because he has already had a spiritual birth that lasts forevermore. He definitely has a confidence in where he's going. And then he echoes these same sentiments when he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, it, the context is verses 1 through 10, but uh, right at verse 1 he says, If our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. But what a comforting thought, that it doesn't matter what happens to us in this life here on earth, we have a heavenly home that we are going to be called to. It's a home that Paul is looking forward to, and it's the type of joy that Paul writes to the church in Corinth about to encourage them and to build up their faith that they will be welcomed home with God one day. Despite this, one of the big questions whenever we talk about salvation is, but can I really know that I am saved? How do I have this assurance? We see that Paul writes with great confidence and conviction, but can we have that same level of assurance? And I tell you, I, I really love this question. Anybody who asks this question, and, and how, this, how I got this topic was actually when I was at AT a few weeks ago with the guard, um, just a couple just kind of casual, honestly, in-passing conversations, just kind of in between some of our training that I had with a few different people. And one of the issues, faith issues, that uh, they kind of expressed interest in was, was this very topic of, can I really know that I'm saved, though? And one of the passages they, they reference is Matthew 7, and we'll get into that in just a second. But the heart that asks, can I really know that I'm saved, is, is a, good, a good heart to have. And the reason that I appreciate this, it's something I want to get into because it'll set the framework for the rest of the lesson in answering this question. 
So I want to take just a moment to go through some of these examples on knowing that we can be saved. The uh, clicker. Yeah, I've got it turned on. Just the forward button, right? Backup? Okay. Let's get to have a backup. All right. Can I know that I'm saved? So, first, I love this question because it shows a God-seeking heart. Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, how blessed are we today that it's not a daily concern of what we're going to eat. Are we going to eat today? Are we going to get to have food to sustain ourselves? That's not really a concern that we have today. But when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to people that are questioning, you know, what are they going to eat today? What are they going to be able to wear today? And he says, a question more important than am I going to get food today is, am I right with God? Do they have a heart that's right with God? And so for us today to live in a world where distractions come so easily, where we can just you know, ignore religion entirely and appreciate all the joys and comforts that we have in this material world, so somebody who is able to see past these fleshly things, these things that will pass away, and ask, am I right with God? That's a very good heart to have. Next, it shows an acknowledgement that there is sin, that there is salvation, and that we need a Savior. Hebrews 9, 27, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There is no denying, if you are a Christian, if you believe the Bible to be true, there is a judgment that is going to come. You will die, and then you will be judged. So where is your soul going? John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains in him. On him, sorry. So once again we see that there will be a judgment. Lastly, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 8 and 9. In flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Those who don't know God and do not obey the gospel, they will face a punishment. So if you're asking the question of, can I know that I'm saved? You're already on the right track to avoiding this. The last list person that asks this question recognizes that salvation can, in fact, be lost. Here's the, the passage that a lot of people bring up and the one that was specifically quoted to me when asking this question. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? and do many mighty works in your name. And then while I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We have people that are confessing believers in Christ as Lord, and Jesus himself is saying, not everyone who does this is going to be saved. In most of the epistles that are written, I see Second Peter and Jude I have listed up there, uh, both of these are written specifically to address false doctrine 
to address people who come from within the Lord's church and are teaching false doctrine. Sorry, I have that last slide about those who are convinced of salvation. This is the one about salvation can be lost. Salvation can be lost. Galatians 5.4 You who want to be justified by the law cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So people who are trying to justify themselves by the law, perhaps these are some of the people that are in that lot in which Jesus is speaking about in Matthew chapter 7. Those that try to earn their way to heaven. Those who try to earn their salvation. And Paul is writing to the church of Galatians and says, no, you cannot do that. There's no amount of following the law, there's no amount of works that's going to earn you what Christ has freely given you. If you're going to do this, you are fallen from Christ's grace. It's clearly stated it is possible for a person to fall out of grace with God. Paul once again echoes this when he speaks to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So we already saw some passages where Paul writes very convinced that he knows where he's going. But yet we see here that he has to practice discipline and control. Because he knows if he doesn't, then he's not recused from a potential punishment. He too can fall from grace. He too can be disqualified from the prize if he does not continue living in a disciplined life, controlled and obedient to God. And because... There's a lot of misunderstanding on this topic. I want to do just two things as we go about the rest of this lesson. First, I just want to look at what the Scripture says. What does God's Word say in answering this question? And then the second thing that I want to do is I want to look at how can we know that we are saved. Uh, Because not all of us here, uh, not all of us that may be watching this lesson, are coming from the same pre-understandings of the Scripture. Now, certain passages that might be easy for you to understand might be very difficult for somebody else to understand. So my hope is that with uh, this lesson that I put together, that all of us will be able to find greater assurance of our own salvation no matter where you are in your faith journey. And if you're challenged by some of these passages, that you'll be inspired to go forth and, and study more deeply some of these scriptures and ask questions uh, about your own salvation, about these passages. So with that said, let's just go ahead and get started. Can I know that I'm safe? First John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's easy. What does John say? Can I know that I'm saved? Yes. Check mark. Done. That's it. Too easy. I could sit down right now if I wanted to, but that'd be kind of a disservice to the rest of the lesson and to anyone who's genuinely seeking this answer. So how do we know that we are actually saved? How do we know this? Well, to know that we are saved, we're going to have to look, take a moment to look at, well, who is, in, who is saved? Who is in a state in which they are within God's grace? And then who is in a state where they're not within God's grace? Who are those that are walking a very dangerous line on falling out of grace? So that's what we're going to look at for the rest of this lesson to better understand how we can know that we are saved. A good person is a good person saved? Just simply a good person. Can they be saved on being a good person alone? Well, I already looked at this verse once, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It seems like being a good person alone isn't quite enough. 
simply doing good deeds, and even simply having a surface level of, oh, maybe God exists, you know, I believe God exists in some level, that doesn't seem to be quite enough, according to what Paul writes here. He's saying that those who don't know God and don't obey Him, they're going to face God's wrath. They're going to face His vengeance. Can a person be certain of their salvation if they don't know God? It doesn't seem so. Romans 10:17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Where does faith come from? It comes from the word. The only biblical place that we have that tells us where faith comes is from the word. Faith isn't based on a feeling. Faith isn't based on an experience. Faith is based on the tangible, understandable, God-given word that we have. That's how we know that we have faith, is by examining the word of God. That is where our faith comes from. If our faith is based on anything other than the word, then it's not biblical faith. So can anyone be certain of their salvation if they don't know Christ or know his words? It doesn't seem so. John 12, 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. By what standard will we be judged? Well, it seems that we're going to be judged by God's word. Just as if you were to go out and break a criminal law and you were to be arrested and face a trial for it, you are going to be judged based on whether you violated a written word. The judge, the attorneys, the witnesses, the jury, they're going to see if your life was lived in violation of the code of the land. In like manner, John is telling us that we too are going to face a standard of judgment. There is a law by which our lives are supposed to be measured by, and that is God's word. If our life does not measure up and we are to be found in violation of this word, can we really have any certainty of our salvation? Which is why it's pretty important to know his word and to know what it says. So the question is, do you know God's word? And is hearing God's word alone enough? Is simply hearing it enough? Many will hear the word and still not be saved. If you turn to you know, open up a Bible to any page and you could probably find an example of this happening. We've already looked at Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23 is one case of this. So what about a believer? What about somebody who believes in God? Well, here's the, the world famous John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Can there be any certainty if you don't believe in Jesus? You believe in God, but you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Can you have certainty in your salvation if you don't believe this? It doesn't seem so. But this word, believe here, it is arguably one of the mis most misunderstood words in the Bible. And the Greek word is pistio. I think I pronounced that right. I had to look it up last night. And this pistio, it means belief. So anytime you see believe in the Bible, it's this word, pistio. And pastillo does not mean a thought. 
or a feeling or a general acknowledgement that, oh, yeah, Jesus, he was a real guy. Oh, I believe George Washington, you know, sailed, uh, took his boat across the Delaware River. You know, I believe that stuff happened. That's not the type of belief that this word means. What pisteo actually means is a trust in something, a commitment to something, a dedication to something. It has the connotation of altering your life based on the knowledge of something. It's knowing that this thing is true, and because it's true, I need to live by that truth. That is the true depth of meaning of this word. It doesn't mean just a general awareness of something. It means applying your life to that truth, to live in such a manner to show that this thing is true. This is the biblical belief anytime you see this word in the New Testament. So the question is, do you believe? Like, do you really believe? Do you believe to the point that you are actually living your life based on the truth of God's word? Or do you just think, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I can still do whatever I want because, you know, God forgives. And that's all there is to it. There's a little bit of a difference there. But is, is belief enough? Well, we've already seen one example of this. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. The words of Jesus himself. There are people that are confessing him as Lord who are doing works in his name. They obviously believe in him, but yet he's going to condemn them. Here's another example. James chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Even the demons believe in Jesus. And their level of commitment, we will see that here in a second. But they acknowledge that Christ is the Son of God. And yet... Would anyone argue whether the demons are saved? Here's another example, one last one. We see in Matthew an example of professing Christians. In James we see demons. Well, let's look at some angels. Jude 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Angels in heaven with God, do you think they know what's going on? Do you think they know God's real? Do you think that they know that Jesus is real and is really the Son of God? They acknowledge that God is one. They acknowledge that Jesus is God. But what is their state? It's not a good one. Is belief really enough? Okay, so what about, what about a confessor? What about somebody who's going to confess that Christ is their Savior? Okay, let's look at an example here. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, and then verse 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can there be any certainty in salvation if you do not confess Christ? If you do not confess him in your life, is there any certainty in salvation? It doesn't seem like there is. There's no escaping this. If you don't, don't confess Christ, there's no salvation. But what type of confession are we looking at here? Well, Jesus has something to say about this. In Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge 
before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This confession, it's not, it's not a one-time deal. Confession isn't you repeat this one mantra, you repeat this one saying, and then all of a sudden you're permanently in a state of being saved by God. Confession is more of a walk. It's more of a lifestyle. It's more of a, when you're out in the world before men who don't have God, are you living a lifestyle that shows that you do believe in God? Are you acknowledging that Christ is the Lord, your Savior, the Son of God, to others in your life? It's not a one-time confession. It's a lifestyle of confessing Christ as Savior. Are you confessing Jesus is Lord? It doesn't seem that there's any escaping. If you aren't doing this, you can't have certainty of salvation. But is confessing enough? Once again, great example, Matthew 7. These are people confessing, Lord, Jesus, we're doing these works in your name. Jesus says, nope, it's not enough. Here's a good one. Matthew 4 and Luke 4, parallel accounts. Jesus being tempted by the devil. You know what Satan does? He acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. More explicitly, Matthew chapter 8, 29. Jesus is casting out demons, and the demons respond to Jesus in this manner. And the demons say, Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? We have a confession. Jesus is the Son of God. We have an acknowledgement that He is the judge. So now we have a case where demons are saying, Jesus is the Son of God, and He is the judge of our souls. That sounds like a pretty, pretty sincere confession to me. But are these demons in a state of being saved? I, I don't think anybody would argue that. That these demons are not in a state of being saved. They're not in a right relationship with God, despite their confession and acknowledgement. So is confession enough? Okay, what about somebody who's, who's baptized? Now, I've got a few extra verses here. This isn't meant to be a study on baptism, but simply because this is a topic that is not given as much attention uh, in, in a lot of conversation as, as the Bible gives it, uh, I want to just add in a few extra thoughts on baptism. But let's just, let's just cut right to the chase, though. 1 Peter 3, 20-21, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of the dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can there be certainty in salvation if you have not been baptized? Peter doesn't seem to think so explicitly says, baptism now saves you. It would be difficult to have certainty, assurance in your salvation if you have not been baptized, if you have not appealed to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would Peter speak so boldly about baptism? Well, when you examine what baptism is and its spiritual connection to God, it becomes clear why Peter would speak so boldly about it. Christ commanded it at the beginning of his ministry. Well, at the beginning of his apostles' ministry, as they are about to institute the church in Acts chapter 2 and go out preaching. 
And some of the final words Christ gave was to go forth, baptize him. It's part of his teaching. It's part of his commandment is to go to teach, to baptize. It's required to teach baptism if you're spreading the gospel. That's red letters. There's no denying that. Baptism is equal with belief as a predecessor to salvation. Once again, words of Christ. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins to receive the Holy Spirit and to be added to the community of the saved. And it's equated with calling on his name, much like a confession is. Baptism unites us with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection and and precedes beginning a new life with Christ. The Bible is filled with instances where we are called to live a new life, to live as the common phrase today is a a born-again Christian. The only place where we're given a hard line of when we start living that new life is at the point of our baptism. Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 6. Baptism is a work of God, not a work of man. It's not something that man does. Man's baptism doesn't earn him salvation. It's a work of God that grants us salvation. And it unites us with Christ through our faith. And then it puts us into Christ so that we become heirs of God's eternal promise. That's in Galatians chapter 3. So we see that baptism is tied to all types of spiritual blessings. So once again, is there certainty in salvation without baptism? The writers in the New Testament don't seem to think so, but is baptism enough? Acts chapter 8, 19 through 24. I don't have the whole passage up there, but it's going to show us a case where baptism is not enough. Baptism alone doesn't do anything. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. You are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter's speaking to Simon the sorcerer, who is a baptized believer in Christ. And Peter's saying that you are not in a good relationship with God right now. If you do not repent, you will stand the judgment of God. So it seems that baptism itself is not enough either. So what about repentance? Luke 13, 5. No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, that's, that's the words of Christ. And in the context, Jesus is speaking to a group of Jews who are kind of comparing sins. And he says, well, at least we're not this guy over here because their sins were way worse. And Jesus says, no, unless all of you repent of your sins, all of you will perish. Acts 2.38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Well, repentance is something that has to preclude forgiveness of sins. If there's no repentance, this equation falls apart. What is needed for forgiveness? Well, here's two things, repentance and baptism. And then one thing I failed to mention, but I'll I'll just bring it up now, is that when Simon the sorcerer is chastised by Peter, he isn't commanded to be baptized once again because he had already been united with Christ in his death. He had already been 
cleansed of his sins, he had already come into contact with Christ's blood for the past sins. But when you continue on sinning, there's a clear call to continue in repentance. And this, this issue becomes a little bit clearer as we go through a few more examples. Romans 2, 4 through 5, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are starting up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's grace is that he gave us the avenue for our salvation. Now, whether we take that avenue or not is on us. And those who continue testing God's patience by living a life of sin without repenting, they're storing up for themselves God's wrath. This is Paul writing to Christians living in Rome. They've already been baptized. They're already believing. They're already confessing Christians. They've obviously heard the word, but yet they have sins for which they have not yet repented. And he's warning them of this. Open this lesson with uh, Titus 2, verse 11. I'm going to read verse 12 with that now. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Some people want to stop at this verse and say, see, salvation is literally for all people. All people are saved. It doesn't matter what you do in this life, all people are saved. But then they ignore verse 12. Training us up to repentance, to, un- sorry, repentance, ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So this salvation for all is for those who renounce their ungodliness, who repent of their former ways, who come out of a sinly lifestyle. Are you living a repentant life? And then the question is, is repentance enough? And I'm going to go back to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to see the role that repentance plays in our life. And it has to do with this, con- this concept of sin that leads to death. 1 John 5.16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. So we see here John is setting up a distinguishment here. There is sin which leads to death and sin which does not lead to death. Well, what are these two types of sin? What is sin that does lead to death? If you read through the entire book of 1 John, you'll get the feel for it. Nowhere does it quite explicitly say it, but you get the feel that it's anybody living a lifestyle that is disobeying to God, anybody not walking with God. But Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 kind of gives us a more direct answer to this. And I'm just going to read kind of the highlighted portions here. Uh, If we go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Those who go on sinning deliberately profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. When you are living in deliberate sin, that is a sin which leads to death. When you are choosing sinful lifestyle, when you acknowledge that God asks me to live this way, but I don't like this, so I'm going to live this way. When you're deliberately denying the word of God and living outside of it, that is sin which leads to death. 
And there will be judgment for it because that person has profaned God's grace. That grace does not apply to a person who's sinning deliberately. What about sins not leading to death? And this is where John answers kind of his own question here on what that sin that does not lead to death is. It's in the first two chapters. He goes in-depth with this. But I'm just going to go through the, the highlighted portions here. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the key. If, you can circle if, you know, highlight it, underline it, bold it, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That verb, cleanses, is in the present tense. It continually cleanses us. us. The blood of Christ if as long as we are walking with Christ, as long as we are walking in accordance with his word, we are living a life which would be pleasing to God, then our unintentional sins, our mistakes, our mishaps, our, our accidents, you know, are like, ah, shoot, you know, I failed a temptation this time. You know, Lord, forgive me. You know, we're not living a sinful lifestyle, but we recognize we still do sin but we're just not choosing to live by our sin. We're living by Christ, but we make mistakes along the way. That is the person that God continually cleanses our sins through Christ. Christ Christ's blood continually cleanses our sins. And then this is reinforced in chapter 2, moving on down. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. So here he's clarifying, if you're walking in the light, if you are trying to live by God's standards, then those times when you do mess up, Jesus is going to say, you know what, God, I got this one. I know he messed up. I got it. I'm taking that one for him. I'm taking one for the team. He messed up. Don't worry about it. I got this. He is our advocate that steps in for us when we sin in such a manner. And this is an important distinguishment to make between living a lifestyle of sin, being a slave to sin, as Paul writes in Romans 6, versus being a slave to righteous. It's about how your walk with God is. Are you walking with God in a manner that you are living for Him, or are you living for yourself? This is the key here between sins that will be forgiven and those that are not. So, the conclusion here, quite simply, you can have confidence in your salvation if, big if, you are walking in the light and abiding in his word. So the question is, is that what you are doing? Are you walking by his word? Are you living a life for Christ? So John wouldn't have recorded that this was possible if it wasn't true. Paul's convictions that of his salvation wouldn't be possible if Paul didn't understand this as well. If he didn't understand that, hey, as long as I am self-controlled, then I know that I'm going home with the Father one day. And then lastly, what hope could we really have in this life if we couldn't take comfort in knowing that God will call us home one day? So my hope, my faith, is that God will make good on his promise that as long as I continue to walk in the light, then I will one day be welcomed home by him. But in like manner, I also trust God to make good on his promise that if I'm not walking in the light, that if I fall into sin and begin living by that sin, 
that God is going to say, depart from me. I'm going to be condemned because I'm not walking in the light. I trust God that he will make the right judgment with my soul. So now the question turns to you and to all of us. Have you heard the gospel? Have you read God's words regarding Christ and salvation? Do you believe it to be true? Have you confessed Christ as your Savior? Are you living a repentant life that seeks to turn away from sin? A life which acknowledges that you have sinned in the past, but you don't want to live by that anymore. You want to repent of them, and you want to live for God. Have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you continue walking in the light? Friends, if your answer is no to any of these questions, you're not going to have certainty of salvation. But the good news is, we can help you with that. God can help you with that. So if there's anyone here this morning that is struggling with any of these issues, we ask that you would let us know. We're all a Christian family here. There's no one here that is out to judge you or out to condemn you. We're all here to, to love one another, to encourage one another, to help one another as we all get through this life together. So if there's anyone here today that has any of these issues, we ask that you would let us know today. Together we stand and sing.